Hi, and welcome to The After Show, a new weekly podcast by Apre, a digital platform that connects experienced professional women with companies seeking talent and diversity. Join our community at apregroup.com. That's A-P-R-E-S group.com. I'm Jennifer Gefsky, your host and co-founder of Apre. Each week, I'll be talking to women who inspire, speakers, authors, coaches, and other experts with valuable tips and insights, along with employers who are hiring women returning to work or just repositioning their careers. Alex Dickinson is an entrepreneur who teaches people to negotiate. She's the founder and CEO of the negotiation training and coaching company, Ask For It. Alex is a contributing writer at Women at Forbes and has spoken at organizations like UN Women, Columbia Business School, and Investopedia. I'm excited to talk to Alex about how women can better position themselves to get what they want and deserve. Alex, welcome to The After Show. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. I'm, I'm actually really excited to have you on the show because I think you are an expert in a topic that so many women struggle with, which is negotiating. Um, oddly enough, so many women negotiate with their kids every day, right? But yet when it comes to negotiating, I think for their careers um, or for anything in the financial sector, it's very difficult for them, I think, to, to do that. And I'm, I'm excited for you to tell us why that is and how we can all get better at it. So first I want to talk about, I mentioned that you started Ask For It after getting laid off from your job. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah. So, you know, my background is communications and training. So all my almost a decade of professional experience and my bachelor's, master's degrees, all in communications, um, all my jobs had a training component. And I, like you mentioned, I'm a certified yoga teacher. I taught for a couple of years. I'm uh, retired from, from that type of teaching because I had an injury. But, you know, my background really is doing what I'm doing now except that negotiation is kind of a specialty thing, right? I often get asked like, how did you start your business? What, what a curious thing to do full time and how did it happen? And, you know, it happened because I started as a side hustle, um, something that I was interested in, not just interested in, but really passionate about. Um, you know, I, I read Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In and, I loved it. I loved the message. I read things in that book I never heard. Before. And I was inspired to start a lead in circle. We met for two years. Negotiation was something we talked about a lot. On the line between that and getting exposed to other women entrepreneurs through Lady Project, having other role models, I decided I bet that I wanted to start something. I wanted to start something that was going to be a passion project that I was going to feel I had ownership over that was a way to expand my skill set and focus on things that really mattered to me. So I was a few months in, less than six months in planning process when I was called into the boss's office very unexpectedly. And, you know, I, I honestly had no idea what was going on. I was not to get laid off. Um, which in hindsight, maybe was a little naive of me, but at first, at first I didn't even understand what she was saying to me. I was like, firing me she was like no no you're, you're not being fired for cause you know I didn't do anything wrong it was just you know they had a reorg and whatever so um it was pretty took me you know aback it took me by surprise I wasn't uh <laughs> wasn't prepared you might see it coming but I certainly didn't and I 
to evaluate my career, my life stage, my goals, and decided you know, I, I interviewed plenty of other places. I had a few other offers and um, decided that I thought, if not now, when? When is going to be a better time of life to try to start my own business? I am, you know, still pretty young. I don't have any kids. And at the time, I didn't own a house. I'm married, you know. Um, so I decided to give it a go. And here I am almost almost at my second business birthday and really um, love what I do every day. Love, you know, that I'm able to say that I'm profitable and um, I'm in the black. And my job is to help other people have more success. So, you know, I worked out. Um, it was pretty bumpy for a while there. It was not something that I had anticipated. And with respect to your name, as for it, I always find when we speak with women and members at our prey, so many times women leave things on the table, whether it's negotiating a salary or simply following up on an email. I'm always so surprised when women um, will say to me, well, I emailed them and they didn't email me back, so I don't think they're interested. And it drives me crazy because it's really that idea of just giving up when you, I mean, you haven't even really begun. And, and so let's talk about negotiating because, again, I think this is, first of all, a, an important part of the road to getting a job um, and getting back to work. And I think it's something we can all use a little bit of help with. So let's talk about negotiating in general. And, and you touched on this a little bit, but why do women, as opposed to men, have such a hard time negotiating? You talked a little bit about it's in our DNA, um, but can you dive a little deeper? Why, why is it that we're afraid to ask for things? So I would phrase it a little differently. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily in our DNA. I would say that we are socialized um, to not do it, you know, which it's, so it's not to say that innately we can't or innately we don't. Um, but that we have been socialized to get that social permission. So, you know, when we're children in the classroom, raise your hand, speak when spoken to, close your legs, you know, um, be modest. And those behaviors, they do stay with us in a lot of ways. Whereas there's this idea that drives me crazy that boys will be boys, right? Boys will wiggle more, they'll move around more, they'll talk more, and that's just how boys are. It's like, well, that could be just how girls are too, you know? Um, so, you know, we're taught, so we're socialized from a young age, and um, it's interesting because there have been studies that show that when a job description says salary negotiable, women are significantly more likely to negotiate the salary than when it says nothing, whereas men will negotiate either way. Because when it says salary negotiable, now we have that sense of social social permission, like, oh, it's okay to do this. I'm not going to be penalized for it because it said that it was all right. So actually we grow up with these, this is how you act and this is what is polite. This is what is appropriate and it sticks with you. Um, and you want to be polite and appropriate and respectful. And, you know, that's something that I, that I preach to teach to everyone is, there is a way to do this that is respectful of yourself. You don't feel gross at the end and respectful of your counterpart, meaning you, you model the behavior that you hope to see from them. And it doesn't have to be, it might be a little uncomfortable, yes, but it doesn't have to be um, or like you're trying to pull one over on them or you're trying to get something that you don't actually deserve. Um, you know, none of those, those things have to be part of negotiation. 
And one of the lessons I feel I've learned only recently is, um, you know, it's business. It's, it's not personal. You know, so I think when you take that attitude and that approach as well, uh, it's, it's a lot easier in some ways because when you think, oh, this is personal, if they don't give me the raise, they're making a judgment about me, or if they don't give me the number I'm asking for, they're making a judgment about me. And I think if we take that off the table, it makes it a lot easier in some ways. I would offer a counterpoint to that um, because for me, I, I always, uh, maybe I'm like showing my age, but I don't, I'll just say that I'm 31, so I don't, I don't think I'm that old, but um, when Harry met- not that old. <laughs> yeah. Well, so when Harry met Sally is a classic, one of my favorites. Although I said, like I said this to a younger woman at some point, and she was like, "I've never heard of that movie." So I don't know. I don't know what. What? That Are you serious? Yes, I am. That is crazy. It's one of my favorites too. Um. Yes. Oh wait. No, I'm confusing my Meg Ryan um, rom com with the other one. You've got mail, but same difference. Same difference. You've got mail. I always think of that scene when Meg Ryan says to Tom Hanks. You know, he says, it's not personal, it's business. And she says, it's always personal to someone. It's always personal to a person. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about it is if you can take that idea, like it's not personal, it's business, and that works for you, that's great. But for me, I haven't really found that to resonate. And um, I think it's like that for plenty of people, for, for women and men. I mean, I've talked with men that have had similar feelings about it too, but um, you know, the way that I try to advise people is to make a case that is so strong, that is so evidence-based, that is so not about, it is kind of depersonalizing it, but, um, but it is ultimately about your performance and why you deserve it, that, you know, it's just, it's easy for them to say yes to you. They, there would be no reason to say no, because you put all the evidence together. You know, and it's interesting, because up until this point, we've talked about our, our own issues, the sort of us holding ourselves back because of our, you know, our thought processes and, you know, fear of rejection or whatever. But isn't it fair to say, too, that in many cases, it's the person on the other side with their own biases about whether women should make as much as men? It's a hard blanket statement to make. Um, it depends on who, you know, who that is on the other end, if you're negotiating with a man, with a woman, what their background is or what the company culture is. Um, the way that I encourage people to kind of get around that or mitigate that is in doing their research, right? So your research about how much you're worth or what your salary should be, right? You, you want to try to make it as objective as possible. So it's about your, your skills and their worth in the marketplace, meaning, yeah, you can look on all those websites that people look on for salary comparison data, which is a great place to start. But I always encourage people to go further and speak to other people who work in your industry, who do your job at another company or who did your job recently at your company and they left recently or somebody who hires for that position. Yes, it's a little uncomfortable. It's a social taboo. We're not supposed to talk about salary, but you know that's really in the interest of the company as opposed to the person. Uh, they don't want you to talk about salary because they don't want you to know that you're being maybe paid less than somebody else. So I always encourage people to speak with women and men, right? Make sure, especially to women, make sure you speak with men. And then when you find out that their numbers are higher, and I don't, I'm sorry to say this, but I don't think I've had anyone who's done that and found that the salaries were completely equal. So when you find that the men's salaries are higher, when you go in to make your case, you've got to use their numbers, of course, because they're higher. So um, 
you know, you try to just make it as objective as possible from, from the evidence that you bring so that that person has biases or the company culture is this or whatever is like irrelevant because you're making the case that this is what this skill set is worth in the marketplace. And I didn't just take what I found online as gospel. I went further and I spoke with people working in the industry. So I know that this is realistic. That's such good advice. I mean, I'm always a proponent as a lawyer for doing your research. Um, and I think coming in prepared, which is something that women returning to the workforce, I think it's even more important to do because you have to come in looking committed and ready to return to the workforce and like you know what you're doing. So let's let's dig even a little bit deeper and let's say I'm a person who is going in for a negotiation. So I'm I got an offer and now we're at the stage that I'm going to start negotiating. What advice do you give someone who's in that position? Yeah, so, you know, you so you're saying you have an offer already in this scenario? You have an offer, right? And you know that there's a salary range. What do you? What is your first advice to that person in that position? So I would say um, negotiating starts way before you get the offer. Uh, and ideally, you want to get out in front with a number, not too soon. Of course, they're going to want you to give a number like the second that you fill out the application. But ideally, you want to hold off on giving that number. You know what what your target salary is. Actually, what your I like to think of it as wish, want, walk. You know, kind of th- you start high knowing that you're trying to get to a middle ground and you've got to know what your walkaway is when it's no longer a good deal for you. Um, so ideally you would get out in front with that number first. I know the conventional wisdom says never to do that, but that's um, a missed opportunity. So, you know. So wait, I'm going to stop you. So you're saying you start talking about salary right at the get go. You, you start the interview process. They've just met you and you start that. No, discussion. I think of negotiation as much broader than just salary, right? Of course, it's that you, you want to talk about salary. You want to bring up the number before they do, but not too soon. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a dance, you know, um, you want to get to a place where they want you, they need you, they got to have you. You're, they're already sold. They already are sure that you're a great candidate and they want you, that's when you want to talk about salary, not before. So the negotiation process starts with making your setting yourself up to get to that point where they want you, they need you, they got to have you. So that's presenting really strong evidence about what your background is and what you've done, what results you've created, what, you know, what value you've saved, what your superpowers are that you bring that are unique to you and setting yourself up for that, this is great. She's the one that we want. That's when you want to get out in front with a number because you want them to play in your ballpark as opposed to you going to play in your ballpark. I know so many people are like, no, I just want to hear what they say first. So I know I'm not wrong. And to that fear, I say it's legitimate and you can't just pretend they don't exist, but acknowledge that that's scary. And then see if you can just set that over to one side, because if you do your research properly and you, you really have a crystal clear sense of, okay, I talked to half a dozen people who do this job in this industry in my city, making between X and Y, like this is reasonable. You're going to feel so much more confident going in to ask for a specific number, knowing that it's not just made up. It's not just picked out of a hat. Um, And even if it's too high, people always worry, oh my God, what if the number I put up is too high? It's like, if you did your research and you're not, again, not picking a number out of a hat, which I have done and is very embarrassing. Um, it's better to have a you know a good solid research number that you that if it's too high they'll say 
that's too high, but how about this, right? If it's not something that's so out of range that it, it makes sense, then, you know, and they still want you and you've done that upfront work, then, you know, it's a conversation, which is, which is what it should be. So once you throw out the number, then how do you proceed from there? Well, so then, you know, they give you a reaction, either great, you're hired or no, that's too high or, you know, that, then, you know, you, it kind of takes two at that point. And so what, what do you do when they come back and they say, ah, that's a little bit high for us. Um, you know, we're not sure we're interested in paying that salary. I mean, do you negotiate against yourself? No. So, you know, then you come back with a, usually I would imagine they would come, you know, with uh, this is too high. How about this? Right. And you have set your, you know, this is something I work with people on is setting your three numbers, wish, want, block. Wish is that high number that you start out with. That's your wish. You're not necessarily assuming you're going to get it. Your want is the target that you're actually trying to get to. So you start high knowing you might have to give a little. Like, I'm walking away from this deal because it's no longer a good deal for me. So if you're between your wish and your want and you need to come down, that's fine because you built that room in and they probably sort of know that you might have done that. Mm-hmm. But do you find with clients typically that they do have to negotiate with themselves or is the typical situation the employer comes back and says, no, we're not going to do that, but we're going to do this? That's what typically happens. I always advise people don't negotiate with yourself. That's why you set a walkaway number in advance before you begin. If you say, all right, I'm making up round numbers here. All right, you know what? If this is less than 70, I'm not going to take it. It's not a good deal for me. And they come back and say, oh, that's too high, but we can offer you 65 right, then you know, okay, well, my walkaway is 70. They're offering me less than that. So I need, they need to get at least above 70. Otherwise, like, I'm not going to take this deal. So you set the walkaway in advance so that you don't negotiate with yourself. Otherwise, if you didn't decide, okay, 70 is the bottom line for me, you know, and they offer you 65, you might say, oh, well, you know, I guess like, it's an offer. It's better than nothing. I should probably just take it. You know, I've been there too. And then you take that offer and then it's like, actually, I'm not happy here. Actually, I don't feel valued. You know, if you have resentments that start to simmer over time, it's, it's really, you're doing a disservice also to your employer, um, because you're eventually going to, you know, leave sooner than you would have if you were satisfied. So if you're a woman going into this negotiation process, in addition to doing your research, how do you advise women to build their confidence up that they can, you know, engage in this process? The best way to get more confident at negotiating is to negotiate. <laughs> so I like to say practice makes permanent, right? Not practice makes perfect because I don't know what perfect is. I don't know if that exists, but, but the more you do it, the more comfortable you are. So that could mean that you practice in ways in your life, meaning, you know, you, I don't know why I always give this example but it always comes to me. I don't know if people still do this, but like if you ever needed to get a pair of high heels like rehealed, cobbler and get your heels re redone, that's like a great opportunity to negotiate, right? They'll come, they'll tell you, oh, it's going to be $60. And you're like, that's crazy. You know, I could buy new shoes for $60. So how about 30? And then they'll say, oh no, we can't do that. That's way too low. How about 50? And then, you know, so you can look for ways to practice in your life. A little bit and then also get a practice partner to do some mock negotiation with you that's something that i do with my clients too is we build in time specifically for mock negotiation because and, and we talk about 
the hardest questions that they are least hoping to have to answer. We don't talk about the softball questions. We talk about the hardball questions because knowing that you can respond, you have something planned out, you're not going to trip over your words. That's the best way to get the confidence to go in there. And like, you, no matter what comes at you, you've practiced it. You have an idea of where you're going to go and you know, you're, you're not going to just quake in your boots and draw a blank. So you know, if you're not confident, it's something that you've never done or you haven't done it in years and you're like, gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get back into this. Start, you know, get, start doing it in small ways and whatever opportunities you can find. Ask for things, even if even if it's like not possible that you could, you know, you can't get them. Ask for an upgrade on your next flight, even if, the, you know, they're definitely going to say no. At, just ask anyway, because you'll get that if you're respectful and you're evidence-based, the worst that they can say is no. And getting used to that is can really be a service for you. And then, you know, when you're in a job situation where you're ready, you have specifics, that's when it's a great opportunity to get, ask a friend or somebody that you trust, your spouse or a mentor to practice, or, you know, a consultant like me, right, to practice with you and give you feedback on strong in your answer this, you could position a different way. Have you thought about how you would answer this question if it comes up? Um, that's really, I mean, there's no shortcut, unfortunately, but it doesn't take very long either, you know, 20 minutes and you can feel really confident just having gone through it a few times. Yeah. It's just so interesting that you raised the practice makes permanent, which I've never heard of that expression before, but as someone who started a company and where budget is very, very tight, you learn to negotiate because you don't have a choice, right? Because you don't have the money. So when you're negotiating with a contractor or web developer or whatever, you realize, wow, everything is kind of negotiable. <laughs> it's sort of a, it's sort of like the light bulb comes on. And um, I love that advice that you can practice in your, you know, in your regular normal life with everything. Totally, absolutely. I mean, I always love to say to people, you know, this works at home too. This works with whoever you live with, whatever stage of life you are. So if that's, I often speak to younger women. So I always say like, this is your roommate that you live with, right? Or if it's your kids or your spouse or your family, or think about, you know, the extended family that comes for Thanksgiving. There's usually some kind of conflict there. <clears throat> that's a good time to practice your negotiating skills too. And sometimes that means knowing what not to say knowing, you know, knowing yourself first, what's going to get you riled up and what is better to walk away from than to talk about, um, or what, you know, it's just, there's plenty of opportunities to practice in your life as well as in your business. Well, I have to say, like, I have found this, uh, talk to be so incredibly educational for myself. I, I know it's going to be educational and helpful for our Opre members. And I, I don't want to, uh, to finish this conversation without telling everyone how they can find you. So um, Alex works as a consultant for uh, individual people as well as companies. Um, but if you're an individual and you would like to reach out to Alex and seek her, her help, uh, Alex, tell us how people can find you. Yeah, I would love to hear from listeners for this podcast. Um, you can visit the website, askforit.co, and you can learn about different options for individuals, also for companies, if that's something that's relevant to you. But for coaching for individuals, you know, I love to start out with a complimentary 15-minute discussion, and you can book time for that directly on the website. So I love to hear what's going on with you, and then we can talk about if it's a fit and how I can help you and what kind of 
results you can expect from our work together. So askforit.co slash coaching is a great place to go to find out about that. And if people are not in New York where you're based, they can still work with you? Yes, absolutely. So in New York, if you're here, then we meet in person if, if that's um, appealing to you. And if you're not in New York, it's no problem. I have clients all over the country, all over the world in many different time zones. And you know the phone works everywhere. Google Hangout, Skype works everywhere. We have all the technology to make this happen. So yes, I have clients from the UK, clients from Malaysia, Canada, all over the place. So wherever you're listening from, there, there's a time that can work out for you. That's amazing. Well, thanks so much for starting your much needed company. I was so happy to have you on the show today and I wish you the very best of luck. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That was Alex Dickinson, founder of Ask For It, an organization that offers group and one-on-one negotiation coaching. Some of my favorite tips were coming up with a wish, want, and walk number before you enter a negotiation and the concept of practice makes permanent. For more tips and one-on-one coaching sessions, check out her website at askforit.co. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time.